Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, everybody. Well, we are in 2 Samuel 12 still, or 2 Samuel 12 tonight, 2 Samuel still in general in our study. And uh, last week we went through chapter 11. Uh, Pastor Jason led us through that, and that was uh, the sin of David. And this week we get to chapter 12 and see the, con- the results of that sin uh, and I was thinking this week as I was going along about Paul Harvey. Y'all remember Paul Harvey? The rest of the story, the rest of the story. that's right, Mike. The rest of the story, because that's what we're going to get tonight, is the rest of the story. And uh, he's, that was his famous catchphrase as he was going along. But he had the ability really to captivate audiences uh, with his storytelling and, and his radio program. Uh, and that was uh, something that he had a, a talent for. And so I can hear that phrase uh, in this uh, portion of scripture tonight, uh, because uh, twice actually, we'll see that uh, the Lord will in, in a few moments, but uh, that is the idea because David, his sin was last week, the consequences, the heart motivations, all those things we looked at uh, last week, sin affected so many different people. You know, it obviously affected David, but, but there's Bathsheba, uh, Uriah, Joab, all right, the other men that died alongside Uriah. Uh, Uriah's father-in-law, Eliam. Uh, there's just so many people that were affected by this sin, and really the nation as a whole uh, was affected by it because, as we're going to read here in a moment, it gave opportunity for other nations to blaspheme the Lord and to speak ill of the nation of Israel that their king was involved in such a crime and such sin. And so uh, this week also, in chapter 12, something that's difficult to look at at times, but also the child that was a result of this um, sin, is also going to be affected by, by the sin as well. Uh, but at the end of chapter 11 is the phrase that specifically reminded me a little bit of Paul Harvey. If you look at the, back at chapter 11 for just a minute, the very last sentence says this, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And so you know right there from that very last sentence Uh, of chapter 11, verse 27, that there's going to be a rest of the story. There's going to be more to come that is going to be involved in this. And that's what we come to tonight, the rest of the story. And so I'll read, I'm going to read the whole chapter all the way to verse 31, uh, because there is a lot here for us tonight. So we'll begin in verse number one. And it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. 
And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if it had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and he was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will he then vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth, and washed, and anointed himself, and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Then he came into his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou hast done? Thou didst fast, and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child was dead, thou didst rise, and eat bread. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And David comforted Bathsheba's wife and went in unto her and lay with her, and she bare a son, and he called his name Solomon, for the Lord, and the Lord loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And Joab fought against Rabbah, the children of Ammon, and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city of waters. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. And David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took their king's crown from off his head. The weight whereof was a talent of gold with the precious stones and was set on David's head. And he brought forth a spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought forth the people uh, that were therein and put them under saws and under harrows of iron and under axes of iron and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus did he unto all the cities of the children of Ammon. So David and all the people returned unto Jerusalem. 
So I, it's always good to kind of, when you get a, a narrative portion of Scripture like this, kind of get the whole context there. I know we've, you know, heard portions of this and probably read some of it ourselves in our lifetime or heard it from another, uh, but it's good to get some context there uh, from the whole of chapter 12 together. So uh, we'll look first at the downfall here, Second uh, Samuel 12, 1 through 6. And uh, I think, you know, the first thing that I, I think about when I, when I come into this is, you know, David probably felt pretty good about himself because we have that tendency sometimes, I think, ourselves. If we do something wrong and, like, nobody knows about it, we think nobody knows about it, we're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. He wasn't struck. Right. He wasn't struck. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't like, he was you know, good. boom. He was doing good. So he probably felt pretty secure. Yeah, exactly. Probably felt uh, pretty secure in his sin, you know. Uh, we, did, we got away with it. We feel like that. But that's why the verse in chapter 11 is so important because it does indicate to us that he's not going to get away with it. Nothing escapes the view of God. God knows all that's going on. And so it's, it may be true, and we looked at it last week. It really wasn't true. I mean, Joab, I'm sure, had a sneaking suspicion of what's going on. And uh, all these other people kind of figured it out, I'm sure. And we see that other nations could blaspheme the Lord by this occasion. So people knew. Yeah, if there had been Twitter in that day, it would have been all over the place. Right. Yeah, that's right. Did you it's hear all over what the king did? That's right. Because you know? it was sort of obvious what he did. Yeah. I mean, I know you've already discussed it, but it was very obvious what he did. Oh, Maybe yeah. they didn't know the exact target, Right. you know, who he was targeting, but it was clear what the king had done because you didn't do that kind of maneuver. Right. And it was a suicide mission. It was. It was. It really was. And so they knew. They knew what's going mm-hmm. on. And so yeah, here's David. I'm sure he's feeling good about himself, but he comes in. Uh, Nathan comes in, excuse me, uh, and begins with this parable. Okay, and he's talking about the rich man, the mm-hmm. poor man, uh, and, and the rich guy has got lots of sheep, and the poor man's only got one. And a visitor comes, and he, uh, the rich man says, ah, I'm not going to take anything from my own house. I'm going to go down to this guy's house and take his lamb and get it ready to eat and slaughter it and, you know, mm-hmm. prepare it as food here for my guest, Okay. And so here's David immediately reacting in anger, right? He's like, oh, man, I can't believe somebody would do that. Mm-hmm. Go and steal from some other guy and, 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 and you know, uh, prepare this lamb to eat. Uh, so he's very quick uh, to pass judgment. Now, now, David is in a position where he could pass judgment. He's the king, okay? Uh, and so he could do that uh, in this kind of judgment, but he does immediately react uh, in this way. And so he's very quick to pass judgment while ignoring his own sin. He's not really paying attention to what's going on. And, and that's another thing for us to kind of take a pause and, and, and think through, you know, are we quick to do that in our own lives as well? You know, uh, very often in our lives, we're very, we quickly will pass a judgment on somebody else when we ignore uh, the sin that's in our own lives. And, and we looked at this a little bit when, when Pastor Jason and I went through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, uh, Jesus did not say not to judge. He said, you need to judge right judgment. Mm-hmm. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. We won't read that, but you go back and read that later. We have to examine ourselves and make sure that we are right before the Lord. Uh, and David was not. David was not right before the Lord. Uh, he had sinned, and he uh, was the one that was actually guilty of it, but he was very quick to throw a judgment call out on someone else. Yeah, he didn't put one plus one together. We don't know how long had passed mm-hmm. between the time he had Uriah killed and took Bathsheba. We don't know how long, how much time had passed between mm-hmm. that event and Nathan's confrontation. But when Nathan told him the story, he didn't go, oh gosh, yeah. I know exactly what this is. I know where this is going. 
He didn't do that. He had already put that out of his mind, right. and he had moved on. Like you said earlier, he felt secure in it, mm-hmm. and so he wasn't worried about it at that point. And yeah. So he didn't. Hmm? At least nine months. Yeah, at yeah. least nine months. At least yeah. nine months, at yeah. Least, at least nine months. Yeah. Maybe longer, but, um, well, probably about nine months, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So it had been, been a while, and He'd moved we'll on. keep that in, in mind, too, for a little bit later on when we get to mm-hmm. the end, because... It actually all goes back to chapter 11. It all goes back mm-hmm. to chapter 10, really, the whole entire context of what's happening here. Um, but one other thing I want to mention here about verses 1 through 6 before we get into that is kind of the, the implication in the Jewish culture uh, that's happening here. Look back at verse number 3 uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 there and see what, how is this man, this poor man, treating this lamb. Okay, so he has this one little ewe lamb. He brought it up. He bought it. He nourished it up, he grew up together with him, his children, did eat with his own meat, drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom, was unto him as a daughter. Now, this is a little bit more than a pet, and our pets are important to us, so this, you know, we, we all have, we have a dog, we have a cat, I know you got some birds, you know, they're yes, important to birds. us, and we, and we care for our pets, and we take care of them, they become part of the family. But this lamb is a little bit more than just a pet, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more than just, hey, let's teach the kids some responsibility, here's a lamb, you guys, you know, take care of it, feed it, and all that kind of stuff. This lamb is the start of this man's future flock. Mm-hmm. It's an investment in his future. It's a monetary investment. He says, I'm going to buy this thing. I'm going to nourish it. I'm going to raise it. I'm going to do it right, treat it well. And when this lamb is old enough, we're going to breed it, and it's going to have baby sheep, and we're going to have a bigger flock. Okay? Uh, and that, that is the idea behind this whole thing. And so, really, that's, that is, it makes it... It doesn't make the sin worse because it's sin. It's all sin. It's all bad. But it just kind of gives a little bit more context and understanding. This guy took something pretty big from the guy. He didn't just take a lamb. He took a future investment. He took future uh, uh, flocks. Yeah, and this guy could have just gone out and bought him another lamb. Mm -hmm. This rich guy, he had plenty of money, plenty of resources. He could have gone and got him another one. This poor man, we don't know that he, I know this is a parable. It didn't, you know, Nathan is, you know, teaching a lesson here. But the poor man maybe wouldn't have had that opportunity. We mm-hmm. don't know how long he had saved up right. to buy this one lamb. And now this rich guy who could have gone out and bought another lamb, you mm-hmm. know, and think nothing of it, has taken that from him. That's right. So it's a, could, could, maybe, could be. Could be. Maybe yeah. It's a good analogy, yeah. Yeah. But in either way, that's, that's just the way that we need to understand it. It's, it's not just a pet. It's a future investment there as well. So, and, and, and that goes back to the whole thing here. Sin can really blind us uh, from the things that are right in front of us. You know, that's, that's one of the effects of sin in our life uh, is, to, is to blind us to this kind of thing and to blind us of, this, uh, of what's going on right in front of us. The truth that's right should be obvious to us. Um, and the sin did not affect David's knowledge of the Bible, but he wasn't applying it in the right way. He wasn't understanding. He wasn't doing the right thing uh, because he knew that restoration and restitution was required. The, the judgment there, the part of the judgment in verse number five, um, verse number six, excuse me, about restoring fourfold, that's actually in the Old Testament law. That's like you, you killed this lamb, so you got to give fourfold back. That's, a, that's an equal from the Old Testament law restitution. The death part was not required, not for the death of an animal in this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, But David went a little bit further because he was extremely angry about this uh, situation and a little bit overzealous in his judgment of it. 
uh, but it was, he was very passionate about that, but not his own sin. Uh, but, but that's an important thing for us to remember as well, that, you know, in, in sin and, and those that are in sin, uh, are, you, it, it affects our ability to rightly see what's going on right in front of us. And, you know, you hear that old phrase sometimes that you got to get lost before you can get saved. And the truth is, you really, people, we have to come to a realization. And all individuals have to come to a realization that they need Christ uh, before they uh, can have an opportunity really to accept Christ, to realize their need of salvation. You have to recognize that sin first. You have to be able to say, yes, I am a sinner and I need that salvation. And that's true also uh, when we sin in our Christian lives. We don't lose our salvation but we certainly have to be reminded of it so that we can come back in repentance and restoration uh, and recognize that before God as well. Yeah, and even David didn't lose his salvation over this. Right. You go to Psalm 51, he said, restore to me the joy of mm. your salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. That was already mm-hmm. secure. He said the experience of it, the joy right. of it was what had been lost. So even though mm-hmm. he sort of put this behind him and he's moved on, it's, it's not only having an effect on him uh, you know, like you said here, maybe not applying the scriptures properly and all that. It's also having an, an emotional effect on him. Right. The weight is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's go ahead and look at the decision to expose that at verse number seven. So here again, I'm imagining David, okay? He's sitting there. He's feeling good about himself. He says, I got away with it. You know, this guy, mm-hmm. I'm passing judgment on this guy. And what does Nathan say, right? You're the guy. You're the man. Thou art the man. You're the one. You're the guy in the story. This is just a parable. You're the one that stole. And, and imagine how David, how that would have hit him all of a sudden. Okay? And, and I think we can. We've talked about, you know, nine months have probably gone by. There's a baby there. You know, David's feeling pretty good about it. But he is recognizing this now. I think the light bulb has come on. This has kind of struck him here. He says, you know what? I, he's committed sin in multiple ways. He took Bathsheba slaughtered Uriah. These are things that the man did with the lamb. He took the lamb. He slaughtered the lamb in the parable. This is what David did. He took and he slaughtered. And he only thought of himself. You know, that, just like that, that rich man. He's like, I don't want to give up one of my lambs. I'm going to go slaughter this guy's lamb. He only thought of himself very selfishly. Didn't think about the ramifications of that sin at all. David's sin began with, with taking what didn't belong to him. You know, Bathsheba was not his wife. He stole something that did not belong to him, which began with coveting. You go back, you know, we saw in chapter 11, he he looked, he Mm -hmm. saw, he kept looking, he lingered at looking, and it became covetousness. And that led to adultery, that led to murder, that led to lying, and all these different things. And so uh, that really began, though, even further back, when David, and the same thing with us, uh, it, it began when David was discontent mm-hmm. with the things that God had given him. And you see that in Nathan's explanation, because he doesn't just stop and say, you're the guy, you're the man, thou art the man. Look back at verse 7 again. Look at all the things. This is what God told to David through Nathan. I anointed thee king over Israel. That happened before. And then he delivered him out of the hand of Saul. That was, I mean, he was anointed before he was, and he was anointed a couple more times too. Then he was delivered out of the hand of Saul. He gave his master's house. Gave his master's wife. That was a common practice then, the, the harem, so to speak, the concubines. Gave you the house of Israel. Gave you Judah. You were king over them. And all these things, if that had not been enough for you, David, all you would have had to say, David, is, I, I need some more. And look, what it, look what, what it says in the King James is such and such things. What does it say in your copy? 
verse 8. Verse 8. I would have added to you many more things like these. Yeah. And other versions would have been the same thing. But that's, mm-hmm. if it wasn't enough, David, of all the things I've given you, I would have given you more. Mm-hmm. I would have done more for you. I would have given you more. You just, but David became discontent or David became complacent. And instead of looking around and being thankful for all the blessings that he had, he began saying, you know what? Mm-hmm. It's not enough. And another thing, and you probably mentioned it last week, but it goes back to that uh, discontent. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. He's supposed to be on the battlefield with his men. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's sitting back at the castle. The devil finds work for idle hands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And that's what it is with us. Sometimes we become discontent with the things that are around us. We try to seek contentment then in this world. And when we try to seek contentment in the world and the things that it uh, can offer, that's when sin begins to uh, boil up in our lives. That's when sin begins to, to start, really, uh, in that. Because we're saying, basically, you know, God, Christ, you're, it's, that's not satisfying. I'm going to go f- and satisfy myself with something else. We're not looking for our satisfaction in Christ. We're not seeking for our ultimate joy to be in Christ. We're discontent, and we go looking and saying, what out here in this world can give me contentment and satisfaction? And it turns our heart away from God into this world. If he had been, if he had been doing what God had called him to do, mm-hmm. none of this would have happened. Yeah. He wouldn't have been discontent. Right. And, and, we, and that, is, that is really the ultimate of it, is this discontentment. I need to go and find this. And we see that because not only verse 7 and 8, but then in verse number 9, uh, uh, Nathan asked this rhetorical question, Where, Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? Why did you despise God's commandments to you? And put that away. Why did, why did it become contemptible in your sight? And, and then he repeats that in verse number 10. We'll get there in just a minute uh, as part of it. But that's what it is. David despised the word of the Lord, uh, and he uh, grew contemptuous and, and, and discontent uh, and began looking for satisfaction somewhere else. And that's, that's how sin starts in anyone's life, when we become discontent with the things that are around us uh, and begin seeking satisfaction elsewhere. Well, let's look at the outcome here, now beginning in verse number 10. Nathan has come. He's given the uh, parable. Judgment's been uh, told to him, and uh, Nathan has pointed out that it was David, and now David hears the punishment. Look at verse number 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me. This is God speaking still through Nathan. Despised God. By despising God's word, he despised God. And you've taken the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be thy wife. So the sword will never uh, depart from your house. And so, again, here I am thinking, here's David. I wonder if David heard his own voice in that phrase, the sword will never depart. Because in chapter 11, you remember, what did he tell to Joab in that little note that he sent with Uriah? He said, the sword devours one as well as the other. You can read that back in chapter 11. The sword devours one as well as the other. Mm-hmm. And now he says the sword is never going to depart from your house. Okay? Uh, and so that judgment kind of came back on himself. And he had despised those things. Also, uh, we're going to see in a few weeks, the Lord willing, uh, the rest of chapter 10, you've despised, you've taken the wife of Uriah Hittite, and then verse 11, raise up evil out of your own house. Take your wives and give them to your neighbor. 
And one of the things that later on give you a preview here that Absalom does when he rises up in rebellion against his father is he goes and grabs the concubines of David as a sign that he's conquered David. I'm the king now. I've got, I've got the concubines. I'm the king. So all these things are going to come into play uh, in David's life uh, for the rest of the, the book of 2 Samuel that we're going to be looking at uh, later on. And so this is what it is. And you, you alluded to it a minute ago there with, with uh, Psalm 51. Um, but if we're going to serve God and, and have a vibrant Christian life the way he desires us to, we have to be on guard of that because the joy of our salvation uh, is what can be lost. Our salvation can never be lost. But that experience of joy in God's presence when we are in sin certainly can because it breaks the fellowship that we have with him. Uh, and so we have to do that. It's a good reason for us instead to rely on the sword of the Spirit, yeah. on God's Word uh, in our lives, to fight temptation. God's Word is literally at our fingertips. The complete and total book, all of it, from Genesis to Revelation, is right there for us to use. And it's called a sword for lots of reasons, but that's what it is. It's, it's how we fight temptation. It's how we fight the battles that have. We pray to God. The Spirit uses His Word in our life. We grow uh, and when those temptations come, uh, the, the, the Bible is a sword that helps us to defend those things off. If we use it, if we allow the Holy Spirit to convict our lives, if we allow uh, that and, and to be obedient to his voice. And so throughout not only the immediate time while David's still alive and, and then later on after he passes away, but all through his descendants' life, and you can trace it if we were to go through the, the rest of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, you would see those kings having problems. Struggling. They're struggling. Uh, their death is coming in various ways uh, to these uh, descendants of David uh, as they choose to follow God or choose not to follow him uh, in that way as well. Uh, and so this is, this is another important thing for us about, like when God is, is telling us about these sins and, telling, and showing us these things and saying these are the consequences, God is able to see the consequences very far down the line. We're not able to see everything immediately. We have a finite life, but, but God is able to see this. Like David would have never lived all the way to see, no. you know, his great, 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 great grandchildren and all the troubles that they had because of this. But God is. And so he knows how sin multiplies. He knows how it grows. Yeah, and it's a warning that uh, one sin, or in mm -hmm. David's case, two or three, mm -hmm. that may seem on the surface to be, okay, committed that sin, been forgiven for it, and I can move on. The mm -hmm. consequences of that sin may continue to flow mm -hmm. way down the line in ways that you can't even, that we can't even begin to imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, David's getting ready, as we're getting ready to discuss, getting ready to see an immediate consequence. Mm -hmm. that he could never have dreamed yeah. what was coming, and all because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to do, and he was sitting around bored, discontent, mm -hmm. and decided to do something he wasn't supposed to do. So. Yeah. Exactly. The magnitude, it just grows. It mm -hmm. continues on down. That's, that's the reason why God's ways are the best ways mm -hmm. uh, for us and, and following him. And so uh, fortunately, though, for David, he does something that other kings uh, were not always willing to do. Some of them were and some of them weren't, if you read it, the kings of Judah. Uh, and that is he, he immediately repents. Look at verse 13. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Because remember what David said about the guy in the parable. He's going to die. 
And if it had been a real event, he would have carried yeah. that out. Yeah. It, he would have. He would have. If, if the parable had been real, you're right. He would have, he would have carried it out. He, he spoke. Or imagine if, Nate, mm-hmm. if, if, the situ- if he had, someone had been brought to him who had done exactly what he had done to Bathsheba and Uriah, mm-hmm. he probably would have had them killed. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he does repent immediately, and he does admit uh, his sin. And this is, this is probably about the time of David's life where he does write Psalm 51, mm-hmm. as you alluded to a minute ago, and, and probably Psalm 32 as well. Um, there are 32 and 51 in, in our uh, modern uh, Bible. 51 is the confession of sin. If you read through Psalm 51, David confesses his sin. And then Psalm 32, going backwards, so to speak, numerically, is actually the response that God has in gracious forgiveness to David. It, it's David recognizing that he is forgiven and, and the graciousness of God as well. So both of these psalms were probably there uh, together. But I, 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 one verse from Psalm 51 that's just so important is Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. That one verse from towards the end of Psalm 51 is so important because it it helps us to realize that that is what God desires of us as well. God desires our hearts to be broken before him and and to be repentant of the sin when it comes into our life uh, and to to be broken and humbled before God uh, instead of filled with pride and those other things. And God answers those that are truly broken in spirit, and he's concerned about the condition of our heart, certainly. Certainly. And David says at the beginning of Psalm 51, you know, these actual sacrifices, these rituals, I mean, you gave them to us as a way of worshiping you, but it's empty if our hearts are not really in it, if our hearts are not really before you uh, broken. So God removed David's sin, but he didn't remove the consequences. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, this is where it gets a little hard because in the, in the story here, because that child that David and Bathsheba had uh, will die and does die. Okay, and if you go right to where we were back in, back in 12, 13, 14, you know, David, Nathan said to David, you know, you, you sinned and you tried to hide it, but I'm going to show all the people in the sun that, that what happened. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring this judgment against you in the sunlight. So in verse 14, thou hast done this deed great occasion to the Lord, uh, enemies of the Lord to blaspheme the Lord, the child also that is born will die. So there's kind of an indication there, as hard as it is, that the child is dying in place of David. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the indication that's there to us. And that's part of that magnitude of the sin mm-hmm. that, that affects it, is that not only is the consequence very grave and the severity of the sin, but also that it, not, it gave opportunity for these other heathen nations around to blaspheme the Lord. And part of the reason that God chose Israel as a special group of people was actually to, at the time, under that dispensation of, 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 of time, was to other people could uh, come to the Lord through the Jews. That so they would be pointed in that way. That was, the, that was part of what was there. And so it gave way uh, for them to blaspheme. Well, you, you know, it'd be the same thing as today saying, well, you know, I, I, I do all these things and Christians do them too. So what's the difference between me and a Christian? Why should I go to church? Because I, I see Christians out doing things that they shouldn't be doing all the time. Yeah, professing Christians is yeah. the key. Professing <laughs> yeah, Christians. Yeah. I mean, we say that, you know. Yeah. I see professing Christians out, you know, doing all these yeah. things and, in public, and, and why, why should I go to church? Mm-hmm. They're just like me. There's no difference. 
And so we need to understand that there's a, there's a severity there uh, that, is, that is part of that. I mean, what David did is probably something that all these other heathen kings would do, and they wouldn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't care if they took their best wow. champion and stole his wife and killed him in the middle of battle. And, and they don't care. And if somebody had come to them and said, you're the man. They'd been like, so what? Yeah, you so what? you off to jail now. <laughs> right, you're yeah. dead, right? <laughs> Kill the prophet. You're mm-hmm. the one that's dead. I mean, you could but, you imagine going before Herod. Yeah. Or later on, Henry VIII. You know what you did? Right. You're the man. That's yeah, right. How well that was going to work out for you. Yeah, that, that wasn't going to be, that was not going to be good. Mm-mm. And that's a problem right there. But it should not be named amongst the children of God. Right. And that's the thing. Hmm? As John did Herod. John did Herod. Yeah, well, that's true. John, oh, John yeah, the yeah. Baptist did come to Herod, and that didn't work out very well exactly for him. Right. Um, but there is, there is that consequence. There's always that consequence. Now, uh, when we get to, and let's, let's uh, get beyond that, because David does spend time in fasting and prayer and mourning for the child, uh, but the judgment already been passed. And then we find this really important verse 23. Let's skip all the way to there. Now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And so there is a consequence, but I think David recognized a couple of things here. David recognized, okay, the child did go on to glory. That, that, is, the, that is the position that I have very much here, that David knew where he was going when he died, and he knew that the child was already there, okay? Uh, and that's a really important thing for us, because even in the Old Testament, we see that there is life after death, that there is... Uh, uh, a heaven, that there is a hell, that there are these things, even in the Old Testament, it speaks to that. And he fasted and mourned uh, for the child who was alive because he had pity, but he didn't have pity on Uriah. He didn't have pity on all those other men. Uh, and so the, 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 uh, the judgment is carried out. And so that, that is uh, what it comes to. But he fasted and mourned nonetheless. But here's the thing. Here's the rest of the story. Okay. Here's the rest of the story. There is life beyond this world. Those that are righteous go to eternity. I'm skipping over to the bottom for just a minute. Okay. Um, and will you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Mm-hmm. So I believe this child went to heaven. I think that babies, I think young children, I think adults with childlike minds, if you know what I mean by mm-hmm. saying that. I'm trying to be respectful when I say that. But adults with childlike minds uh, will uh, go to heaven. Uh, there is, there is an, uh, the idea of being able to understand the sin that is there. And so when, when babies die, when young children die, adults with childlike minds, I believe they go to heaven. I believe this verse is a, a good indication to that of us, uh, of that reality. And here's 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 16. 14 to 16, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the, with the Lord. Yeah, and so that is just a reminder in the New Testament as well. Yeah of the reality of where the righteous will go one day, where the righteous will be. And death has lost its sting. We can live in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And so even in this tragedy here, we do see an indication that there is a future 
of comfort for those that are righteous who follow God and who believe in that. And I think that was the main reason David was able. Mm -hmm. You know, he mourned and wept and fasted and all that when the child was alive, hoping maybe that God would Mm -hmm. show mercy. But then once he, the child died, he realized, okay, the child is now safe. Mm -hmm. I can move on with my life. And the people around him didn't understand it because they said, what is this you've done? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They thought he was off. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something too. We do have that comfort in, in the death of our loved ones when they know the Lord, Mm -hmm. but we don't mourn as going back to first Thessalonians chapter four and Mm -hmm. application for us today is it says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep mm-hmm. so that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. Right. You know, there's a difference for the believer and for the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. The unbeliever goes to the grave, and that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. The believer goes to the grave, and it's just a brief interruption in the mm-hmm. story. Yeah. So there's, there's a major difference there between the unbeliever and the believer. Mm-hmm. And right. I heard John Walvard uh, from Dallas Seminary one time, he was preaching on that sermon, that, that particular text, and he, and he went further than what I just did. He said, for the believer, there is hope. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. do not grieve as those who have no hope mm-hmm. because the, outs, the, the lost person, the non-Christian, has no hope at mm-hmm. the grave. There's, right. there's no hope mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and that's the reason why I think we can see that principle here in David's life. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as he knew that where the child was, he... Yeah. was able to get up and, and do the things he needed to do. Well, I told you there could be two rest of the story phrases in this, and here's where the other one comes in, verse 24. Here's the rest of the story, <laughs> yet again from Paul Harvey, okay? And that is this, verse 24, David comforts Bathsheba, and notice this now in verse 24, David comforts Bathsheba, his wife. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in the scripture that he's called his wife. Up until now, even in this chapter, earlier on, it said Uriah's wife. But once the child of the judgment had passed and those things were finished, the repentance had come, now it's his wife. There's a change, and that's an important change. It's not a misprint or a wrong word. It's an important change that's happened here. He's now called, or she's now called Bathsheba, his wife. So then they have a son, and this is Solomon. And Solomon is a really important uh, character for us because he is, he goes on to be the wisest person, mm-hmm. uh, the, the wealthiest ruler, uh, the greatest ruler uh, of that time. But he, first of all, his name, Solomon, is a variation of the Hebrew word shalom, which is peace, of course. And so what we have is peace now between David and God. Mm-hmm. It's been established because the, the sin was committed, the repentance was given, the confession, the repentance, the forgiveness that restitution was paid, and now there is peace between God uh, and David. And that's an important principle to us because that's what Jesus does for us. In Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, he brings peace between God and us because we were the ones who in Romans tells us that we were his enemies. Before we were saved, we were the enemies of God. And we didn't seek anything but our own way. We didn't, we, there's none righteous, no, not one. And so Jesus Christ brings that peace to us. He brings us shalom with God through his death and resurrection, taking the price for us. He defeated death, and now we have peace with him, uh, with God. And then Nathan is called, verse 25. It says, Nathan, come on and see the child. And now Nathan can be excited about this child. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be excited about the first baby, but this one he can be excited about. And Nathan says, now his name's Jedediah. Now I know you know, parents in here, you got grandparents and parents in here. If you had, you just had your 
uh, baby and you name it, you know, whatever name you thought of those nine months or more that you, you know, were carrying. And then someone walked in the hospital room and said, no, 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 I don't like the name you gave him. Here's a name instead, right? You'd love that, wouldn't you? But, but this is an important name for us yeah. too, because Jedediah means beloved of God. Mm-hmm. And that's an important indication for David as well, because this is the way that David knew that Solomon was the one who would continue on the Davidic covenant. The thing that God established with David all the way back was in chapter 7, chapter 8, around that area of David's life, that as long as your descendants follow me, there will always be someone on the throne. I'm not going to take the throne away from you like I took it away from Saul. I mean, this whole thing would have been caused for God to take the throne away from Saul and give it to a whole, but God said, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants forever. And by Nathan coming and saying, this, this boy's name is Jedediah, it was an indication that now that is restored. This is the one who's going to be your uh, heir. But that's also important as well because it continues that promise that's even bigger in the Davidic covenant, not just that David would have a successor, but that the future, future, future successor, the son of David, the root of David as we, and the uh, son of David would be Jesus Christ. He is the one who can take the throne. He is the one who rules and reigns forever. He's the one we, we heard about in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation these past two weeks. He is the one uh, who fulfills the ultimate end of the Davidic covenant. And so it not only establishes David's mind that, okay, now, now we have peace, we have restitution, and we're still on the throne, and God is forgiven, but now future generations and even us today are blessed through this as well. So that's that larger promise there as well. And then the last few verses here in the, the last few minutes we have, last few verses of chapter 12, we won't read them again. But did you notice that some of these names in these last few verses were similar to the names we read last week? In chapter 11, the city of Rabbah, the Ammonites were there, all of these things. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 11, that's where David should have been. That's where Joab was. I don't know if, I mean, the indication would be that Joab's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's been out since chapter 11. He's actually been out, if you go back and read chapter 10, we didn't cover chapter 10 in here on Sunday night, but if we went all the way back to chapter 10, that's where Joab's been. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where David should have been. Mm-hmm. And notice here, he sent messengers. He's like, I fought against this city. I've taken it. And he's kind of taunting him here. If you look at verse number 28, he says, hey, you better come and get this thing or I'm going to take it myself and call it after my name. That's what he said. Look at verse 28. You come in a camp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and be called after my name. He's kind of taunting David a little bit, trying to goad him on. And so David does what he was supposed to do the first time. Verse 29, he gathered all the people together, and he goes to the city. This is the city where Uriah died. This is the place where it all happened. They haven't conquered it yet. Nine months plus hasn't been conquered, all because of the sin of David. And they fought against it. This time they take it, and they win. And David defeats them uh, and takes the crown okay, and, and the spoil of the city. By the way, this crown, the footnotes here, a talent of gold and the precious stones, 75 pounds. Could you imagine putting a 75-pound hat on your head? <laughs> but that's how much it was. But, uh, but anyway, and then, and then he puts the, in verse 31, he puts the people under these things, the King James says. So either mm-hmm. made them his slaves or he used these instruments of farming here to kill the people. Mm-hmm. There's two ways that they say he either killed all the people with these farming instruments or he made them work the rest of their life as slaves with these farming instruments. Uh, Either way, he completely defeats the Ammonites. But here's the thing about that, okay? God redeems and restores the things 
uh, that are broken in our life. And I want to kind of end there because there is a lot of tragedy and trouble that's going to continue being on in David's life. But if we come to him uh, broken before him, uh, he does redeem and restore those things. We continue that. David had to be restored to his place in order to lead the people out uh, to where he was supposed to be. And we need that restore, restoration to continue uh, in the realm of his love as well. And that's the thing. We, we kind of mentioned it, but again, bring it all together here. He never leaves us. We don't lose our salvation. Uh, his love for us never changes. But as we've said before in our abiding Christ and different studies we've done here, our obedience is the sphere in which we find and enjoy our salvation. We find that satisfaction as we're obedient to Christ. We find that joy in his love as we're obedient uh, to him. And he redeems and restores all of those things. David did get his role back as king, and his line was continued. Um, And that may not be true for everybody. You know, you may be in a position today where if something happened, you'd be removed from that position. You couldn't have that specific position back, but that doesn't mean that God could not use you in a different way in ministry. It doesn't mean that God would not want to continue to use you in a different way and, in and ministry. I, I think Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians 9. Mm-hmm. He talks about being disqualified mm-hmm. and, you know, that he would do something that after everything he had done, he would disqualify himself. Mm-hmm. And you can think about people that's happened where mm-hmm. they had great reputation and then they sinned or something came out mm-hmm. and yeah. it was all for naught. Yeah. It tore everything down. Yeah. But he does use those still, even if we seek them, repent them. And so a few things, just application general tonight. Always be seeking our satisfaction from the Lord. Because that's where it really, really started with David. He was discontent, and he was seeking his satisfaction in things that weren't his to seek his satisfaction in. So always do that. We don't want to be ungrateful. We don't want to end up contemptuous of God's blessings in our life. Also, seeking God in prayer every day. That's one of the things, again that's kind of changed in David's life from the beginning of our study to now. He's, it doesn't always start out with David prayed to find out what was going on. He's, he's missing that. So we got to pray, especially in the times of temptation. Keep that open line of communication there. And then when we do sin in our life, because we will, mm-hmm. keep a short account mm-hmm. and don't hide it. David tried to hide it. He tried to cover it up. Keep a short account and, and don't let it and don't hide it. Don't cover it up. God knows what's going on, even if other people around us don't. So finding true repentance, finding grace in God alone and our true joy and contentment in him.